0: Fora TV podcasts are brought to you by the Wellness Channel, sponsored by Pfizer at Fora.tv slash wellness.
1: I'm Stuart Brand. This seminar about long-term thinking is brought to you by the Long Now Foundation. If you would like to see high-quality videos of the talks in the series, including this one, they are available online for Long Now members at longnow.org. I'm from the Long Now Foundation. My name has been Stuart Brand for a while now. Now, as for Peter Diamandis, <laughs> I don't often have job envy. But a guy who gets to go flying in zero-G all the time uh, with famous physicians and other interesting people. The physician, he's a physician, a physicist. And, uh, gets people with big money to put up big money to make big things happen. And then be in the thick of that whole process. And then along the way, sort of occasionally, uh, get people to go into serious space uh, out to the space station. That's a pretty good gig. And as a result, because he's been at it for a while, and the X Prize has had some spectacular successes already, and has some others in the pipeline, My question to Peter has been, what I miss about the X-Prizes so far is, all they are is extremely difficult. So tonight he's going to go beyond that.
2: Peter. Thank you, Stuart. Uh, It is fun. It is fun. And if any of you haven't uh, either Flown in zero G yet or funded an X Prize, I invite you to do both. Um, so, let me give a little bit of background of where this talk came from. I was at the TED conference with uh, Stuart, and, and he asked the question during a luncheon presentation I was giving about what about really big X Prizes for really difficult things? And that has started a series of conversations at the X Prize Foundation which I internally call mega X-Prizes. And let's consider this the first public discussion of the subject. And let's see if in the next year or two, some of these don't actually bear fruit. Uh, at the end of this presentation, I'm going to put my, web s- my uh, email address up there and invite you to please share your ideas with me. Because some of the ideas you're going to see here today are the result of one-on-one conversations. But one of the things I enjoy most about what we do is it is the essence of the power of an idea. Literally the right prize idea once it's materialized in a person's mind can easily attract the money, the 10 million or 100 million or a billion dollars and then that money can attract the maverick thinkers to go and try things they might not otherwise do and cause something to come into existence. So you can draw a direct line between the idea and the physical materialization of that and that's really very enjoyable. My story is uh, as my wife Kristen well knows I start every conversation at the age of eight my passion was to fly into space and it's something that has driven me every moment of every day and uh, I grew up on the tail end of the Apollo program and then decided along the way that there was no way in the world I could possibly become a government employee and go and fly into space uh, through NASA uh, I was told my chances were one in a thousand of being selected and then even if you were selected you might in your career get a chance to fly once or twice in fact half the astronauts have never flown they call them penguins because they you know, have wings but don't fly uh, and then the clincher was I was told to get your flight assignment you have to be really really good do what you're told and I said that's just not me so forget about it So. A good friend of mine, Greg Marinack, when I was getting my pilot's license to motivate me to go on and finish it, gave me a book called The Spirit of St. Louis. And I had no idea that Lindbergh actually crossed the Atlantic to win a $25,000 prize. I thought he woke up one day and decided to fly across the Atlantic, you know, sort of go East, young man. And, but the fact of the matter was, it was a young Frenchman, Raymond Orteig, who was born in Paris, moved to New York. And in New York, he became an entrepreneur. Uh, and eventually owned a hotel. This is just after World War I, where aviation made its debut on planet Earth. And he met a lot of aeronauts. And the idea of a competition to fly between New York and Paris came to his mind, and he announced it in 1919. $25,000 for the first person to go between New York and Paris. That's it. Simple and easy. But he was, you know, lambasted in the, in the papers when that was put forward. It was a crazy idea and the thing is it worked. In 1925 he extended it a number of years and by 1927 nine different teams made the attempt and the numbers speak for themselves. Nine teams spent four hundred thousand dollars to win a twenty five thousand dollar prize. I mean it's the most efficient and highly leveraged approach you could possibly take. He didn't pay anybody with a good idea, anybody who tried, anybody who came in second, he only paid Lindbergh who by the way was considered the flying fool. That was his nickname before he became Lucky Lindy a few days later. (laughs) And I kid you not, it's a great article I have on May 19th of 1927. The New York Times printed an editorial that said, Stop! Don't do this! You're going to kill yourself and set back aviation a decade. But just the opposite happened when Lindbergh made that flight for 33 and a half hours, having barely slept the night before he became a global hero. And his name is still known to school kids, you know, 80-plus years later. So, the other part that got me was within 18 months of his flight, the number of passengers in the United States went from 6,000 to 180,000. It wasn't like air got thicker or gravity got less and people got it easier to fly. Something materially happened. The paradigm of being able to fly came into people's minds, and that was a powerful thing. The number of pilots tripled, the number of airplanes quadrupled, airports doubled. Aviation really took off with this amazing story. And I was reading the book and making notes in the margins, mostly about how much money teams were spending. And by the time I had finished reading this book, the idea of the X Prize came to my mind. This was the way I was going to build the spaceships that I could eventually fly in personally. My mission being to get humanity off the planet. I didn't know the name of the person who was going to put up the money, so the letter X was my variable to sort of hold the place of that sponsor. I kid you not. It just took me so long to raise the money, the X stuck around. So this was the X Prize, $10 million. $10 million was enough money to attract the entrepreneurs, but not so much to attract the Boeings and Lockheeds. I had no interest in the traditional players playing in this game. This was not about incrementalism. This is about allowing crazy ideas to really materialize. A privately funded ship meant that everybody was spending every penny they had focused on doing this thing. Three people meant at the end of the day you could have these ships go into commercial practice, which is an important part of the XPRIZE because I I fully expect the teams to spend more money than the prize amount, which means there better be a back-end business model to this. But a three-person shipment a pilot and two paying passengers or, I like to say, an autopilot and three very brave passengers. <laughs> and then 100 kilometers was the altitude. And this was a very important lesson. We originally had it 100 miles. And, in fact, before that, people said to me, Peter, you've got to do this to orbit. Unless you go to orbit, it means nothing. These are orbital chauvinists, as I call them. Uh, and, and, you know, I sat there and did the energy calculations, which you all do. You know, it's uh, energy is the square of the velocity. And it meant that literally I'd be asking people to do something 50 to 60 times harder than this. And I said, forget it. It's not. I really wanted the intersection and the prize of audacious and achievable. Now, Brand's asking me to, uh, Stuart asked me to, to change that equation a little bit. But 100, we had hundred miles, we did the energy calculations for reentry. we dropped it to hundred kilometers. Unfortunately, knowing full well, most Americans would know the difference between you know, 100 miles, 100 kilometers anyway. <laughs> and then the most important rule here was they had to do two flights within two weeks. And it, it, maybe it's obvious to everybody here, but what that meant was the cost of the second flight was the fuel and the touch labor. So it was a way of putting an economic boundary on the prize without getting too many accountants stuck in the loop. So amazingly, it worked again. We had 26 teams from seven countries who spent $100 million to win the prize. And on October 4th, 2004, Spaceship One made its second flight within actually five days. This was built by Paul Allen and I mean, built by Bert Rutan, backed by Paul Allen. And the, I think the results that were the most satisfying for us was it really changed the paradigm that spaceflight was not just for governments anymore. Uh, we gave birth to a, a new industry, created public awareness. And Richard Branson, we expected to launch an industry after the competition, but not in the midst of it. You know, literally, Richard Branson came in and negotiated the rights to build Spaceship Two, and it's committed over a quarter million. And in fact, there's been uh, over a billion dollars committed to this personal spaceflight industry since the Ansari X-Prize was won. Regulatory reform, an important attribute of X-Prizes, are in their wake if they're big enough and public enough, they can drive regulatory change. And it will look something like this about uh, six months before the X Prize, or about eight months before the X Prize was won. I'm sitting in Marion Blakey's office, the FA administrator, an amazing woman. And it went, Marion, the X Prize is going to have to be won outside the United States because the rules and regulations here don't allow it. And she said, Well, what do we have to do to change that? And they did. And the rules and regulations were changed. And we leveraged the, uh, our sponsor dollars about 50 fold. And for me, this was a crowning moment when Spaceship One was hoisted in the middle of the Air and Space Museum, right next to the Spirit of St. Louis that inspired it and right above the Apollo 11 capsule. And so that was a really a magical moment. Five and a half billion media impressions. So on the day that the XPRIZE was won um, and we named it the Ansari Prize for the Ansari family and during Q&A if you're interested we can talk about how this was funded which was the most difficult thing I've ever done in my life. Uh, on the day it was won, we ran out of money, but luckily that Google Doodle appeared with Spaceship One flying over the top of, uh, of Google, uh, the Google logo. And I had a chance to go up to Googleplex and present to the, uh, to the folks there. Uh, Larry Page introduced himself, ended up joining our board and saying, let's turn the XPRIZE into a world-class prize organization. And we have done that. We uh, grew our board, adding folks that you know, Elon Musk and Craig Venter and Dean Kamen, Ray Kurzweil, Arianna Huffington, uh, uh, Ratan Tata from Tata Motors just joined our board, and really taking the organization forward into a range of different uh, new areas. So the fundamentals of prizes are the following. They have extraordinarily high leverage. You put up a $10 million prize and can expect 10 to 50 times the amount spent to win it if you do it properly. It's efficient. You only pay the winner. And unlike venture capital where you fund one team, by putting up a prize, you literally put a call out to the world and attract every single player to you. And you have complete industry knowledge, which is really a very powerful thing to do. Um, This is the story of leverage. Two and a half million dollars the St. Louis community gave us when we moved the foundation there in 1996. Got us to a $10 million purse from the Ansari family. That's Anush Ansari, who we flew as our fourth private passenger to, on the Soyuz back a few years ago. Uh, she's just back, and her husband uh, Hamid is holding her in her spacesuit after she's landed. Uh, that $10 million got leveraged to $100 million, and there's been over a billion dollars in uh, built into that industry so far. So after the X Prize was won, we decided to go into five different market sectors. Uh, we have five we call verticals. Energy and the environment is probably our next most critical area we're focused on and would love that dialogue with you tonight. Uh, global development. How do you use prizes to drive wealth creation as a answer to poverty? Exploration, which for us means space and underwater. We've just received uh, funding to begin looking at underwater X XPRIZES. Um, education and life sciences. So when do incentive prizes work best? When there's a market failure, things are stuck. People don't believe something is possible. When there are entrenched bureaucracies and when there's a stigma attached to a notion. People say, you know, cold fusion, that's terrible, will never work or whatever it might be. Important attributes. So these are the attributes of an XPRIZE. Uh, Large cash purses. For us, the $10 million is not the reason teams do it. The $10 million credentials this in the minds of the public as something that is significant. I had teams that would literally go out before the Ansari X-Prize looking for money for their spaceship. People would say, you know, those who had never done a space deal would look at it and then run. Those who had actually invested in a space deal would run before they even heard the... uh." Uh, X-Prizes have clear, objective, and simple rules. They target an area that's stuck. They define a problem and not the solution. So with the Ansari X-Prize, it was get three people to 100 kilometers. We didn't talk about kind of propulsion, whether it's, you know, what type of launch system to use. It was get it there. Our goal is to attract maverick thinkers wherever possible. You know, one of the notions that I really, has hit home for me is that the day before something is truly a breakthrough, it's a crazy idea. If you stop and you think about that fact, the problem is that governments are, you know, are resistant to funding things that can have a a very public failure. But unless you're funding things that have a high probability of failure, your chances of actually funding things that are true breakthroughs are really small. Large corporations are worried about their stock price plummeting and you end up really with entrepreneurs and mavericks which might go after these prizes and are the last people who might ever write an NSF grant. So we say to people, I don't care where you're from, where you've gone to school, what you've ever done before, you do this and you win the money. And the goal for us is changing the, the, uh, the paradigm. Um, in addition to that, one of our goals is making heroes out of the team. So we are, for example, on the X-Prizes we're up right now, we're in negotiations with the television networks to focus the spotlights on the teams as they're competing, which allows them to go out and raise more money and spend more money, which provides more leverage for the prize. We build what we hope are ideally uh, telegenic prizes that drive PR Educate the public. Other thing that we have done traditionally, and this is what, what Stuart reacted to, was we dial the difficulty of the prizes to be winnable in a three to eight year time frame. The goal being if it's if it's won in less than three years, it was too easy. And if it if it takes longer than eight years, you know, people in this generation don't really care anymore. It's outside their time horizon. And for me, it's the issue of encouraging people to take risk. I had a situation occur when I was giving testimony just before the X Prize was won in Congress uh, where I had a congresswoman stand up and say, Dr. Diamandis, isn't it true you're causing people to risk their lives and someone may kill themselves doing, going after this prize? And I said, yes, that is true. Um, and I said, and thank God that it is true because 500 years ago, thousands lost their lives crossing the Atlantic And 200 years ago, thousands of Americans lost their lives crossing crossing the Great Plains and it would be un-American to stop them from risking their lives for the greatest exploration humanity has ever undertaken. And she withdrew her question. (laughs) But we are killing ourselves in this nation by how risk adverse we have gotten. And so for me, being allowed to take intelligent risk is a very important thing. So, since the Ansari X Prize, we have launched uh, three prizes so far, and I'll speak to these uh, in a moment the Archon X Prize for Genomics, the Google Lunar X Prize, and the Progressive Automotive X Prize. But first, a short video. Three, two, one.
0: prize for two consecutive private space trips was won today A by... A $10 million prize. The driving force of the X-Prize is incentivized competition. In 1927, the $25,000 Orteig Prize for the first non-stop flight between New York and Paris was won by Charles Lindbergh. It stimulated passenger travel and the birth of today's $300 billion aviation industry. Directly inspired by the Orteg Prize, the Ansari X-Prize was announced in 1996, designed to transform how people think about space and space travel. Twenty-six teams from seven nations spent one hundred million dollars to pursue the prize, an astonishing ten-to-one leverage of the prize purse. By creating the first private race to space, the Foundation gave birth to a new industry, drove regulatory reform, and changed the paradigm that space is only for governments. It ignited the personal spaceflight revolution.
2: Four years after the Ansari X Prize was won, over a billion dollars has been invested in this personal spaceflight industry. That's the power of an X Prize. In 2006, we launched the $10 million Archon X Prize for Genomics. In 2007, the $30 million Google Lunar X Prize. And in 2008, we announced the $10 million Progressive Automotive X Prize receiving over 100 million print and broadcast impressions in the first five days after the launch. The
0: XPRIZE Foundation has dedicated itself to becoming a world-class prize institute to revolutionize philanthropy, providing benefactors with new, highly leveraged platforms with tangible results. The XPRIZE Foundation is tackling the grand challenges of our time.
2: So after the Ansari Prize uh, was won, the next prize was from the, you know, the cosmic to the, um, to the microscopic. Uh, the Human Genome Project, as you might have heard from Craig Venter, cost about $3 billion in 12 years. Craig spent about $100 million and a year to sequence his own genome. And the Ar- Archon X Prize is a $10 million purse for the first team to sequence 100 human genomes in 10 days. Uh, fundamentally, a single genome is a great scientific piece of discovery and information. But it's not until you get to thousands or millions of genome sequence that medicine can become preventative and predictive in nature. So that's the goal. Dr. Stuart Brand, who uh, is an amazing, wonderful uh, uh, man, he was a geologist who theorized where the largest diamond mine in North America should be. And he went out and found it. And uh, it's the third largest producer in the world, and he's become a philanthropist now, and he funded our, our second XPRIZE. Um, we have uh, six teams registered, about four to six. We expect by about a dozen teams, and this to be claimed in the next two to three years. Uh, to make it sexier, what we've done is we've created something called the Genome 100, which are going to be 100 individuals whose genomes we're sequencing as a result, some of which are up here. Uh, Stephen Hawking was the first to step up to this, which is how I met him and then later flew him on our zero G airplane, uh, which is another great story. Um, But the goal is that these are genomic pioneers who will allow us to sequence their genome and then post it either publicly or anonymously to get the database of genomes up there. The second prize we launched was the uh, Google Lunar X Prize. Now the story here goes something like this. Uh, it's, It's 2006. We're looking for our next thing to do in space. I go and speak to NASA and say We're gonna, we want to do this, uh, this trip to the, this, this lunar XPRIZE. They said, great. And we explained to them how it could literally save them hundreds of millions or billions of dollars by, by virtue of being able to go and test hardware in a low cost way. And they said, great idea. And we did a study. They said we could afford $20 million to do this, but it would have to be US teams only. And I said, I don't like that U.S. team only part, we we're do global prizes. Uh, So I went and spoke to the heads of uh, the European and the Japanese and Russian space program about potentially matching it. And then NASA said at the end of their budget process, we can't find $20 million. So two days later, I was at our board meeting and spoke to Larry and Sergey, and they said, sure. (laughs) And it became a $30 million prize that was global in reach. It it was almost that simple, it really was. (laughs) But it's a $30 million purse, uh, $20 million for the first place prize, $5 million for second place, $5 million performance bonuses. And this is something we're doing that's new. We learned something from the first X prize, which is to have a second place prize. Because a lot of the teams are really pushing hard. And if there's a front runner like there was with Rutan, you want them to have a second place prize to go after. Other part that we learned was using bonuses, which is, you don't really want to make it so hard that no one can win, but if you can extend the goals they can go after by adding these bonuses, it adds a nice dimension. Now, if you look at the bonuses, which are roving further, so to all you have to do to win this Prize is build a private robot, land on the surface of the moon, send back photos and, and video, rove half a kilometer, and send back another moon cast, we call it. That's it. You get $20 million. Anybody here wants to register, see me afterwards. (laughs) And um, but one of the things that we learned in prizes are in order to cause the paradigm change we talked about before, it's important that this not be a flash in the pan. This has to have a time duration to prizes. So remember the two flights within two weeks. When Lindbergh flew, he was in the news for about a week straight. And people who Missed the newspaper one day, caught it on the second day. And so the time dimension of the prize is very important as we design the rules so that people see it and see it again and see it again and see it again and they get that it's now possible to do that. So for us, we debated whether just landing on the moon once. But if you just landed on the moon and send back a photo, people would look at it, okay, well now let's see what Britney Spears is doing or something. It'd be they'd, they'd be off into the next subject. But by literally having to land, then rove, and send back photos again and then see whether they rove ten times further to get the roving prize or whether they can survive a lunar night to get the, the overnight prize or whether they can image uh, a Lunarhad or a Apollo. So it adds dimensions on which keeps it in the front page of the newspapers and that element helps change human paradigm of what is possible. So we announced this. Oh, one of the things, by the way, that was interesting was uh, when we first started this uh, our friends at the uh, uh, National Aeronautics and Space Administration said, well, maybe there might be five players who might register for this. And uh, within 12 months, we've had over 1,200 registration requests from around the planet uh, for this. Now, we've fully registered about 15 teams, and I expect there will be probably two or three times that amount when it's said and done. But a short, uh, a short quick video. I knew that we never wanted to do something
0: so conventional uh, at Google. Uh, I thought if we were ever to sponsor something, it should be uh, something ambitious. You know, having seen the success of the
2: Ansari X Prize, that in fact having many different entrepreneurs all competing to accomplish this goal is actually first more exciting, uh, second more likely to actually achieve the goal, and, and third probably less expensive overall. So that was our second prize. We launched in 2007, and uh, just this year in 2008, in at the New York Auto Show with Mayor Bloomberg, uh, we launched the Progressive Automotive X Prize. And we knew, in fact, that after the Ansari X Prize, we wanted very much to do something in the energy and environment space. And the idea of an automotive prize was the first thing we thought about. It took us a long time to find the sponsor, and Progressive Insurance stepped up, and we're very, very pleased about that. So the, uh, the Progressive Automotive X Prize is the following. It is a race. It's a staged race, like a Tour de France. We're going to be doing it in 10 cities in the United States. I think New York and San Francisco have already stepped up to be two of those 10 cities. We're doing a competitive bid for that. In 2009 is the preliminary race, and in 2010 are the finals. There are two categories you can compete in. A city car, which is a two-seat, three-wheel minimum, and a highway car, which is a... Four seat, four wheel. It is a timed race where it's the fastest time while still maintaining over 100 miles per gallon, orch energy equivalent. You have to build and provide a car that is beautiful by virtue of the public interest, affordable, manufacturable, and gets over 100 miles per gallon while still meeting all the EPA uh, uh, emission standards. So we've had over 120 teams sign a letter of intent to compete. And the first stage of this will be happening, uh, I think, out of New York in the fourth quarter of 2009. Um, and one more fun video. Today, the power of the XPRIZE comes to automotive. The XPRIZE Foundation is a philanthropic organization created to address today's grand challenges, to bring about revolutionary breakthroughs that will benefit all of humanity. The Automotive X Prize is a $10 million prize to teams that can produce production-capable, safe, clean, and super-efficient vehicles. Vehicles that can exceed 100 miles per gallon or its energy equivalent. We're not talking about concept cars. We're talking about real cars that can be brought to market in the near term, that consumers will want to buy. I'm thrilled to be here today. This is an opportunity for Progressive, a
0: 70-year-old company with a rich history of making things
2: better in car
1: insurance, to get together with another organization that shares our passion for innovation. The Progressive Automotive X Prize is the competition that will bring more choices of safe, environmentally friendly cars
0: to drivers everywhere
2: the Department of Energy is particularly excited to work with the Automotive X Prize to engage kindergarten through 12th graders and the general public in learning about the benefits of advanced vehicle technologies, energy efficiency, climate change, alternative fuel use and the very science behind efficient clean and green vehicle development.
0: I'm proud to announce a funding grant from the U.S. Department of Energy uh, in the amount of up to three and a half million dollars
1: over the next three years to the XPRIZE Foundation. We really do need some new thinking. We need some innovation. I don't think there's any bigger threat to our world and to our country than global warming and our dependency on oil. We've got to get people to participate and to change their lives and to understand that we have to use less energy and that we have to find alternative energy sources that aren't destroying our planet. And Peter, I just wanted to thank you and the XPRIZE Foundation for developing this inspiring competition to innovate and change. And uh, uh, Peter, progressive, um, hearing the call and putting up 10 million bucks is exactly the right thing to do. I think it says an awful lot about your company and the people that work there.
2: Today we've done more than just announce a competition. We've issued a challenge to the teams, design and enter a vehicle. To the automotive industry and corporations, find new technology for a new century and follow Progressive's lead. To prospective donors and sponsors, help us increase the purse size and support the teams. To decision makers at all levels, join this cause and protect our planet. It's a challenge to every one of us. We face these issues together. We must solve them together. We welcome you along on what's going to be an incredible ride. Thank you so much. So the, the fun thing there is if we do our job right, we're gonna bring a new generation of cars onto the road that are gonna take everything we drive today and put them to the history museums. And the fact of the matter is we believe that you can have it all. You can have a car that goes over 100 miles per gallon, that is sexy, that is affordable, and that is good for our environment. And the fact of the matter is once we change that paradigm, then there's no going back. Um, our goal going forward is we're launching about 10 X prizes over the next four to five years. Uh, the goal is about $300 million worth of purses, driving about $3 billion in team expenditure, addressing the world's grand challenges. One of my personal goals is to reinvent how we define philanthropy and have 10% of philanthropy done in the forms of prizes, which are much more efficient and highly leveraged. So, now let's talk about mega X prizes which I define as sort of the 100 million to multi-billion dollar category. Now, the fact of the matter is there are 1,200 billionaires on this planet and adage still holds that you can't take it with you. And at the end of the day, you can only fund so many museums and university chairs and so forth and I believe that we will start to see those individuals who are frustrated and want to cause fundamental change and will put on the table large sums of money for things to change. There will be that individual who says, you know, here's a billion dollars that stands for the first person to go to Mars. And I've had those conversations with folks. So that's the first. So where are these gonna get funded from? there will be individuals who wanna leave a legacy and challenge people in a fundamental way. Second thing, what I call, you know, saved future expenditures. The annual health expenditures for AIDS is about 80 billion a year. It's a phenomenally huge amount of money worldwide. Over a decade, 800 billion dollars. So what's it worth if you can cure AIDS and cause it to be cured a year early? Is it worth a billion dollar prize? So those are conversations we're having with health insurance companies right now. Now, the pharmaceutical companies would love to keep it a chronic disease because that's how they sell their drugs. But the health insurance companies would love to cure it and stop having to pay it out. So there's a very interesting economic engine here that we're starting to look at that could fund very large purses to accelerate the curing of diseases. So again, these conversations are are just brand new for us. Another area of save future expenditures. The average space shuttle flight, you know, cost about a billion dollars if I'm being kind to that organization. The cost per person to go to orbit on the shuttle is about $100 million per person. If you go with the capitalist Russians, it's less, it's about $30 million, but the socialist US space program is about $100 million. <laughs> You can actually calculate the amount of energy it takes to put you and your space into orbit. It's easy calculations, We've all done in high school. It's kinetic energy and the uh, potential energy, MGH you know, and one half mv squared, it's about 6.6 gigajoules. About 1,800 kilowatt hours. And at 7 cents a kilowatt hour, if you buy it off the grid here, the cost for you and your spacesuit, 128 bucks. So the price improvement we c- curve we have to getting into space is from $100 million to $100. It's pretty good. You know, we've seen that in other areas. It requires some new physics or other stuff. But just, just to put that in people's minds, so... You know, there are four shuttle flights a year times 10 years. It's $40 billion. You know, what if there were a billion-dollar prize for bringing the price of spaceflight down by orders of magnitude? So when do incentive prizes work best? We discussed these areas. And the one that I think for X prizes is the most interesting is where people believe something is impossible. And so what I'm going to do now is... Um, run through those on your list and ask you to please uh, take out your pencils or pens and as we go through, mark the three that you think, because frankly, uh, we're actually very interested in what, you, in, in what you have to say. You've all seen these quotes, and over time, I mean, the thing that stops humanity's progress the most is the human mind, our belief that we cannot do something. You know, I, be- I define an expert as what I put up here, people who know, you know, without a doubt what they cannot achieve. Uh, which the, exa- the best example I have is that in 1961 when JFK said we're going to the moon, the average age of the engineers who built the Apollo program, built the navigation and guidance, the rendezvous and docking, the structures, propulsion systems, the average age was 26. And they did it because there was no one to tell them what could not be done. and. Son, this is not the way we do it here at NASA these days. And that's why it's costing us, you know, 10 times more to go to the moon and and twice as long when our computers are a few billion times faster. Um, So let's run through that. I also put on here, you know, here are some categories of things that you might have imagined late 1880s and someone said, oh, we're going to have people going to be flying through the air or you're going to be able to, you know, to communicate instantaneously across the Atlantic. I mean, people said, well, you're nuts. It's impossible. Inconceivable things that a few decades later became, you know, very conceivable. Space flight, heart transplant, cloning, eradication of smallpox, sequencing the human genome, all these things were impossible and viewed, I'm sure, by 90% of the public as impossible at one point. In fact, uh, I was talking to Ray Kurzweil uh, two days ago, and he was talking about the fact that five years after the Human Genome Project was launched in 1990, in 1995, when they only sequenced 1% of the human genome. Everybody was saying, see, this is a ridiculous project, we should cancel it. So, here are my favorites, and I've done this by getting comments from people and just accumulating them. So, if you send me emails or your comments, I'm happy to add these onto the list. So, first, a human mission to Mars. And by the way, I believe that the best way to go to Mars is one way. The idea of round-trip travel, I think, is ridiculous. We should go to colonize. It's a lot cheaper, a lot safer, and a much higher probability of success. And we can talk about that in a different time. Uh, Faster-than-light communication. Send X bits of information from point to point faster than the speed of light. Uh, Organ replacement. When I say organ replacement here, it's clone and regrow and transplant an individual's own vital organs. First baby born off the planet. Babblefish: creation of a personalized, portable, instantaneous, universal language translation tool. A flying car, build a car that can drive in normal traffic, carry these two people, and also fly distances of over 100 miles. Artificial intelligence, build a machine that passes the Turing test. Self-replicating non-biological machines. Longevity, and this is a low-level, you know, only double the length of the healthy human lifespan. Cancer. Now, cancer is thousands of different diseases. So rather than curing cancer, what about being able to detect it when it's at the 100 cell stage and zap it any place in the body? Predict an earthquake. It should be in less than. <laughs> uh, Okay, well, or predict an earthquake with an hour's notice or day's notice. A cure to AIDS. Identify extrasolar life-bearing planets of any type, of any, of any single organism. Proof of extraterrestrial intelligence. New York to Paris in less than 30 minutes. A private, fully reusable orbital spaceship. Orbit the Earth for less than 100,000. An Apollo 8 mission, privately fly one person around the moon and safely back to Earth. Here's some fun ones. Robotic sports. The first robot to beat Tiger Woods in uh, 18 holes of golf. Or the first robotic soccer team to beat a championship soccer team. Or the first robotically driven car to beat a Formula One champion. Humans in deep ocean. Three people to the ocean bottom twice in three days. is sort of the Ansari equivalent. Image 100% of the ocean floor. We've only imaged 3% so far. And some of the world's greatest waterfalls, underwater lakes, and mineral deposits are there. Back up the biosphere. Create a database, a data backup uh, of the internet and the top 10,000 species on Earth. How you judge that would be interesting. And uh, place it off the planet. Replicator. Device they can create out of energy and raw material anything for which a detailed should be detailed uh, plan is provided. <laughs> detailed desire, I really want that one. <laughs> energy extraction. What I mean by that is something along the lines of zero point or cold fusion, sort of energy out of the ether, sustainable net energy positive fusion, vision restoration, wire up an eye for for better or twenty twenty or better. The first brain transplant, but the person has to actually have full functioning of memory and motor function and live for at least a day. (laughs) The second person will do much better than that, I hope. (laughs) Download a brain to a computer with all memory intact. Um, One that I'm thoroughly amazed by. Brain-to-brain communications at more than tenfold our current interface. Develop a real-time collective consciousness for a group of over 100 people. Eradication of hunger for more than 90% of the human population. Eradication of poverty for more than 90% of the human population. There will always be those who want to be hungry and always want to be poor, but I think at least 90% don't. Carbon sequestration, create an economic device to, uh, quest, uh, to extract and sequester carbon from the atmosphere. That one needs better definition. So um, create an AI that can engage and educate children to their highest possible potential. Uh, develop a learning technique or system that allows uh, uh, increased rate of learning by an order of magnitude. And of course, elect a president who believes that Darwin and global warming are both real. <clears throat> so um, before I go to questions, I'll, add, I'll, I'll end with this thought, which is the most critical tool for solving any challenge is the committed and passionate human mind. And that's what we try and do with XPRIZE, is, is drive people to take risks, do crazy things that the next day become ph- phenomenal breakthroughs. So, thank you for that and let's, I guess, uh, collect these and go to uh, Q&A. <laughs> by, the, by the way, I, I'll leave my, uh, my email addresses up there, just peter at XPRIZE.org. I'd love your ideas for long-term X prizes. As much detail as you want to provide, it would be welcome. Thank you, Peter. That's great. Let's have a seat okay. and uh, i got some questions for you.
1: Might if I sit here? My right ear is better sure. than my left. Chris Rash, where are you? Asks, how do you persuade donors to give? Why shouldn't they wait until some other billionaire funds
2: the prize? So, I guess a lot of the donors that we've had have really been amazing entrepreneurs. Uh, we have something called the Vision Circle, which is our group of major donors. Uh, Larry was the first. Um, a number of folks from Google, a number of folks at like the Ansari family. And these are people who are... You actually in- get them together to do things? We do. We alpha get the dogs we- don't usually go in packs. Uh, we, <laughs> we have a great board of trustees and Vision Circle who come together twice a year. Mm-hmm. And we have a fun debate at our, at our board and Vision Circle member uh, meeting about where we should we be doing X-Prizes. Mm-hmm. And those Vision Circle members are really our shareholders who put up the money and, um, and we listen to them and say, let's create X-Prizes in these areas. They're the people who can fund them, they're the people who are typically very engaged in those areas. Uh, But they're impatient. They want the leverage. They've made their money by having phenomenal leverage. And they see this as a way of, uh, of doing things in a more radical fashion faster.
1: A uh, question from Eric Nierlich. Uh Do you think governments should be using prizes to fund research? And uh, uh, detect a sort of libertarian strain through <laughs> most yeah, of what sure. you've been saying. But I know that
2: DARPA is using prizes. So now, Dar- DARPA is, and I think that governments should phenomenally be using prizes. Large corporations should be using prizes. It's a way of doing off-balance sheet risk-taking. The problem is that governments screw it up every time they do it. Well, well, DARPA hasn't, but other government, I mean, I've sat down with agencies and it comes up, well, okay, here's the prize for this, but, you know, it needs to be in this state and it needs to be in this congressional district and it needs to use uh, suppliers from this area and they start putting all of the um, uh, restrictions on it and it needs to be matched by this way and so the, the way that prizes work best is in unconstrained fashion. You know, if the right person to win the prize is in Kazakhstan, fantastic. And the money should go there. But when you start putting constraints on it, then you start limiting where the real breakthroughs can come. Uh, You just saw uh, McCain talk about a $300 million uh, battery prize. NASA, we helped NASA in 2003. It was a great moment in time. A friend of mine, uh, Matthew Isakovich, who was a controller of NASA, he went to MIT with me, uh, calls me up one day uh, when he's a controller of NASA He says, Peter, my son Matthew, he's 15 years old, just came to my office with your, with your XPRIZE website printed out. And he said, Dad, how come NASA's not doing cool stuff like this? <laughs> I tell you not. So what can I, he asked what we could do to help him. Out, and uh, we created something called the Centennial Challenges Program, which NASA funded to $10 million, And they've been unable to get the prize program funded after the first year. And out of a $17 billion budget, it's un, you know, I don't understand it.
1: One immediately imagines going meta. <laughs> so are there prize prizes? Are,
2: are there, there prize prizes? You know,
1: are, are there competitions to come up with great prize ideas? So we just
2: launched one uh, two days ago uh, at MIT. Mm-hmm. We have, uh, jointly with YouTube, it's a small one, it's $25,000. It's a YouTube competition. You can all have fun with it. Uh, produce a two-minute YouTube video pitching an energy X Prize, And... Um, I'll give you a, a fun example. We, have a, we also have a, a course at MIT called X-Prize Lab at MIT where grad students come together and they design x prizes. Mm-hmm. And every year has a different theme. Last semester was on global health and uh, they came up with really four great ideas. One of them was for rapid TB detection. So 1.6 million people a year die in uh, developing world from tuberculosis, not because we don't have a cure, we do, but because the diagnosis of it takes three weeks. And a person comes into the clinic, they provide a sputum sample, and they go away, and, you know, the vast majority never come back. So what we've done is, instead of three weeks, the idea is a device that can detect TB in three hours, so that they can be diagnosed on the spot and given the, uh, the cure. So we are doing prizes for prizes. Peter, looks like Audi Pass, can that be true?
1: Um, what is the longest term X Prize you envision? Twenty years? hundred years? What's the
2: cutoff? Well, I think for a, uh, I I would envision and hope that we will eventually see some of these very large prizes. That from an ego standpoint, I, I have one gentleman on the Fortune 100 list who's given us a seed grant to do an X Prize, and if we come up with a good one, he wants it to be the biggest ever that we've done. Mm-hmm. So there's going to be that branding that makes the biggest hotels or the biggest buildings and so forth. So, uh, you know, if it's a really crazy, audacious concept and someone puts up a billion dollars, I think that could stand for decades. But you know, we're going to have the singularity in about 25, 30 years, so all that's not going to matter anyway. Um, But I'm serious, Uh, (laughs) uh, but that's a different story. Uh, A prize to hit off the singularity. Um, so I can imagine a billion-dollar prize could affect where grad students do their research, where companies do their research dollars, where uh, regulations are changed. Um, it can be a magnet that really changes the way people think about an issue. You know, when this first came up at the TED
1: conference a couple years ago, um, and I talked about, let's you know, go yeah. for really difficult things like, you know, anti-gravity and stuff like that. And then the next morning, I have to have breakfast with Richard Branson. Richard Branson says, oh, yeah, I'd love to put up money for anti-gravity. Obviously, it'll happen after I'm dead, so it'll be this large fund, and you know, I'll put in a million. It'll be uh, uh, you know, X billion by the time somebody actually does it, and it'll just get bigger and bigger because it'll be invested in a certain way. And uh, no loss to me, big name, let's just do it. Are there ways, I mean, this is kind of the tontine idea of, you know, there's, a, there's an investment strategy in the prize. Sure. Are you
2: guys screwing around with that? Um, well, what we have screwed around with is the whole one insurance policy side of the prize. Okay. And uh, those of you who don't know the actual Ansari X Prize story was I funded the $10 million purse through a whole one insurance policy. Um, I couldn't raise the money, and I had such a difficult time. I actually... Two friends of mine within a couple of days told me about this idea of a whole-in-one insurance. You get an insurance company to bet against you being one. You set an end date, which I did. And so I got a $3 million policy on a $10 million purse. I didn't have the money to pay the $3 million policy, so I negotiated a $50,000 payment every month. And I didn't have those money, so I'd have a $50,000 Friday coming up, I used to call them, and have to raise $50,000 in the next three days, and the whole thing was over. The Ansari family came in and paid off the policy and gave us the funds, which we named it after them. But... Um, Talk about high risk. Yeah. But uh, someone like a Warren Buffett might take a bet. Mm-hmm. You know, he does that kind of... right? that kind he of business. He did one with us, yeah. Yep. Um,
1: that starts to get... Frankly, I'm, I'm, as you know, interested in the, the kind of mega-mega. Sure. Uh, Faster than light travel, anti-gravity. Um, you've got pieces of them in, in here, and I can see that... I like the range extending. You've, I think you've got the lower end really nailed the mm-hmm. three to eight years, yeah. and then starting to get to a couple decades is interesting, because then what's interesting about a, a couple decade one is a person the age you were when you got interested in space can take it on as something they want to shoot for when they're a grown up by the time they're, and then they educate themselves toward it and all that kind of stuff, because people live by decades, not by years. Sure.
2: I also think when you, uh, when you cast a prize in a very big and confident fashion and I have a mm. terminology that I speak about when you give birth to something above the line of super credibility. So for example, you know, there's a line of credibility. If you, give, if you announce something below the line of credibility, it's dead on arrival. No one believes you. It's, they dismiss it immediately. Above the line of credibility, it may happen depending on how you do. If you do well, it goes up. There's this line of super credibility when you announce it. So for the Ansari X Prize, I didn't have the money. So under the arch in St. Louis, I did the next best thing. I had 20 astronauts on stage. I had the Lindbergh family, the head of NASA, the head of the FAA. And no one asked, do you have the money? You know, there was... <laughs> and uh, they had every confidence, and I, as did I, that you know it, it'd be a no-brainer. So when, if you can announce a billion dollar prize in a fashion that with great confidence, it changes people's view and says, well, it must be possible. Just now how do I go and do it? You know, it's like this, this proof is intuitively obvious, you know, that sort of thing. Well, I think one of the best points you made here is
1: that there's twelve hundred billion uh, billionaires out there and a lot of multimillionaires. And we had a, one of these talks a couple of years ago with Catherine Fulton who says, most of the money that should be philanthropic is actually sitting on the sidelines. Like most of it is just sitting somewhere accruing and not doing a damn thing except whatever it happens to be invested in. And so there's a huge resource to get these multipliers and leverages and fun and all this stuff you're talking about out there. And so I would see that as itself a very, very large resource, much larger than it is. And you're doing great to, to mine that because it's kind of leveled off in normal philanthropy.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I asked myself one day, what would I do if I had a billion dollars? And the answer was I'd probably do, I'd make 10 hundred million dollar prizes for the things I'm most passionate about in life. I mean, why wouldn't you? It's a way of, I mean, you literally, for those things, if you cared about them, you would attract all of the best thinkers to you to solve that issue. And you only pay when it's won. How beautiful is that? I like the, Tell me a little more about why you thought that it's important to do the, the second place winner as well. Because um, you want to give birth to not just a point solution, but an industry. Hmm. And because then you get the secondary effects, which is all the teams competing against each other to improve the price performance of their products, and you create a marketplace. And it's important to me that the people who are, run, are runners-up if there's another prize to win, sometimes, you know, the money, like I said before, is the credentialing element. Getting on the front page of the newspapers and the heroic challenge and doing it, and teams that would continue and continue to get money saying, we're going to go and win it now and be, you know, not necessarily second place, but we're going to go and win these bonuses, we're going to do something different, have a motivation now to continue the work. Now, hopefully the the back-end business model is still uh, valuable, but... um
1: well, the curse me you get 16 teams or 22 teams or whatever it is going after these specific things and two of them win. Um, you've now got a whole body of people who have focused a large part of their careers on solving a particular kind of problem. Right. And they've got a whole body of skills to do that with. Does that then become sort of the, the first generation of that industry? That that Absol- whole set of people all hires each other and, and then they do it together?
2: Sure, absolutely. And what happens if we do our job right, is the winning of the prize uh, gets such a level of excitement that capital starts to flow in. You've hopefully have rewritten the regulations to allow what you want to do more easily along the process. And the public now is fully educated about what's possible. Because the television, the public nature, so you can give birth to the industry in a, in a better fashion.
1: How are we doing on tallying the votes? Is that happening somewhere? Almost done. Almost done. Almost done. Okay, uh, bring them up when you got them. Hey, we had a specific question here while we're waiting up uh, from Bill Hardy. Do you have any plans to involve Robert Bigelow's inflatable space station? Any opinion of his efforts?
2: Uh, I think Bob is 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 great. Uh, he is. Uh, uh, those of you who don't know, Bob Bigelow is a uh, billionaire in the Las Vegas Extended Stay America, and he has committed uh, about $500 million to building inflatable uh, space orbiting structures. He's launched two, he's getting ready to launch his third, um, and these are, you know, these are the makings of private space programs, and I, um, I think there's a lot of merit in his designs. Uh, he, after the Ansari X-Prize, uh, I met Bob, I think it was one, it was one of the very first people I ever met him uh, when he got interested in space. And uh, I tried to convince him as I met everybody to fund my X-Prize. Bigelow X-Prize. And after the Ansari X-Prize, he told me that he was interested in, st- in living facilities and not launches, that if he built the living facilities, someone else would build the launch vehicles. And I think he's found that that really hasn't materialized yet. So he, he did... Uh, he put together a $50 million challenge for the first person to build a six-person uh, reusable machine that could go to a space station. It had a, a, it was over an over-constrained problem, and no one ended up competing for it. Interesting. And that's probably part of the the parts of an next Prize. That's it really when we look at it, we go out and we survey the field and find out again that intersection of audacity and achievability. To launch a prize that that no one's and put a time limit that no one's ever going to go after. It's you know. It doesn't help anybody. In fact, it hurts. So you need to be just past that edge. So that raises the question, which, which Hardy also
1: raised, which is do you see the possibility of too many prizes going on and just sort of the whole thing blurring out and a kind of a, uh, you know, the good ones drive out
2: the, or the bad ones drive out the good ones right. or something. Aggression's law of prizes. So uh, we have a lot of that discussion at the board and vision circle mm-hmm. mem- uh, meetings of how, how many to launch, and we've uh, right now our position is we're going to launch two to three per year and get to a steady state of 12. And as one is one, we'll then launch another, and we are instituting in the organization really a competitive process where hmm. we may not launch prizes um, that even have the capital there unless it really merits up so there'll be more and more of a, of a higher uh, uh, you know, hurdle you have to, to go to be a great prize. Because you can measure a prize in various attributes, um, how, how really dramatic is it? How, you know, how world-changing or radical is that prize by virtue of people's opinion of how, um, you know, how many people might it impact on the planet? Uh, uh, how much, you know, how easy it will be to raise the, the money? How many teams might compete for it? So we sort of create a prize equation, if you would, that will help us measure how a prize rates you know, is, it, is there capital going in? Is there a market failure? Is there capital going into that anyway? You know, I'm not sure that a battery prize of the type is the right prize if there's billions going into the entrepreneurial marketplace. You did just a little of the history of prizes
1: and, and basically started with, with Lindbergh's prize. One that's impressed me most was the Longitude Prize sure. that the British Admiralty set in motion and which did take a few decades. And um, changed not only navigation but uh, clocks and everything else it was a, it was an instrumentation prize um, what's your view of that and some of the other historic competitions of the past? I think what was
2: i mean so the longitude prize that was put up by the by the uh, British uh, 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 Navy and admiralty was a result of the fact that they were losing thousands of people on the rocks because they could, you could tell your latitude but not your longitude and ships would be crashing and they were just losing too many lives. And so they expected it to be won by an astronomical method. And when it was won by oh, the design of a new clock, they actually were refusing to recognize it. That's right, yeah. So, the royal um,
1: astronomer, as I recall, uh, invaded against the guy who actually won for decades.
2: And, and so that's the beautiful thing. If you do it right... The, the, what a prize does is it raises a challenge to such a high level that the non-traditional thinkers from other fields come in to look at it. Mm-hmm. And that's where you really have breakthroughs. When, you ha- I mean, when people who are in the field are constrained in their thinking and they don't understand that they're constrained or how they're constrained. Mm-hmm. They just are. And so you really want someone coming at it from an orthang- orthogonal position, which is where the breakthroughs typically come from.
1: What other historic prizes have interested you or competitions?
2: Well, I mean, there's interesting. The, the Kramer Prize was interesting uh, that, uh, that Paul McCready won for, uh, for bicycle-powered flight, which, again, was thought impossible. And it was interesting because Paul entered the prize um, uh, to actually pay off debt because he, he thought it would be <gasps> an easy thing <laughs> to win, and uh, it ended up taking him so much longer. But what came out of it was his understanding of lightweight gossamer structures, mm-hmm. which gave birth to Air his company, which has done such amazing things. And so he was a non-traditional player in that field who came in and created a new body of thinking around gossamer structures.
1: Now, anybody in business is always keeping an eye on their competition. Do you see other prize-generating entities out there that uh, you're enjoying or worrying about watching?
2: Uh, there are some good ones. A company called Innocentive, which is a for-profit, which is, but they're focused much more on the smaller prizes uh, in the, uh, where a company basically uses a prize to outsource research and development. I've got this problem. I've got this. I need a molecule that can do the following thing. Here's a $100,000 bounty. So that's, uh, that's one. one is that two I think what we're trying to do is establish a brand around XPRIZE that will allow people to uh, view it as something uh, valuable. So we have the answers. Uh, we have, uh, indeed, so and go in reverse order. Uh,
1: let's go from ten uh, up to one. Why don't you go for? Why don't you go for the first one? Okay. So number ten, uh, the tenth uh, of these is number twenty-eight. Download brain to a computer with all memory intact.
2: Okay. Number nine. So is number nine. Cure to AIDS. You wanted to define that one a little bit. Um, I think. The, the notion is uh, there are two elements of, of dealing with AIDS. One is uh, a vaccination so you can't come down with it. Mm-hmm. And the mm-hmm. second is if you have it, can you, in fact, uh, basically disable it so that you can return to normal human functioning? Great. Bring that one on. Number eight. Number
1: eight is uh, number 34, create an AI that can engage and educate children to their highest potential. Cool.
2: I think I read about that in a Neil Stephenson. Uh, that's... I'm, I love it. Um, number seven, uh, along those lines, develop a teaching system that allows an increased rate of learning by an order of magnitude. Wow.
1: Uh, number six is the 18, uh, what you call Apollo 8, privately fly one person around the moon and safely back to Earth. Huh, I'm surprised by that.
2: That's cool. Why uh, are you? Because uh, that's a, it's a very cool... Uh, milestone, but not necessarily an amazing breakthrough in technology. Okay, but working up. Number five, a repl- uh, replicator. Create out of energy and raw material anything, <laughs> uh, and, including a replicator. <laughs> Been done. <laughs> uh, I mean, <clears throat> I, don't artwork, we, yes.
1: biology, I mean, this is pretty common, right? Yeah. So are, are you constraining it that it can't be biological
2: or what? Um, you know that's an interesting thing, but I, I, can't, I can't put some data into a biological device and have it make me a Rolex, can I? I guess a, a human.
1: Well, I mean, one of the things that Craig Venter said on this stage just a couple of months back was that the amazing thing about that he's discovering is with the genome is it is software that creates its own hardware. And as you know, he's trying to boot up a, a brand new created genome to
2: do that. Yes. Okay, we're up to number four. Energy extraction from the ether, zero point and cold fusion you want to explain what a zero-point
1: is and why there's even a reason to think there's something there?
2: Um, Any any zero-point physicists in the audience here? (laughs) I mean, actually, I would probably do a poor job of it, so I'm not going to embarrass myself with it. But, I mean, the notion is that there is latent energy in the fabric of space that could be tapped and extracted. And I'll just leave it at that. And I I do believe, you know, we currently are extracting energy in a very antiquated fashion. And, uh, there, I mean, I have no doubt there will be fundamental breakthroughs. I mean, if you think about it, as a species, we're only 100,000 years old on this planet. As a technical species, we're 100 years old. I mean, we know nothing. I mean, I fundamentally believe we're just the beginning of, of our knowledge that we're learning.
1: We have a tie for a second, so we will not do a third. One of them is number 32. Uh, eradicate poverty
2: for over 90% of the human population. How do you see a team doing that? So, I'll give you an example. Um, We are working on a uh, global development XPRIZE, which I'm kind of really excited about. And it goes something like this. Um, Many of you know this device is becoming ubiquitous even in the developing world, uh, where almost everybody will have a cell phone. Now, imagine in a village, if by having a cell phone, uh, you could have a job in a business. So that you got a cell phone and you could buy, I'm gonna, excuse me for using numbers which are meaningless here, for a hundred rupees, I'm gonna buy a piece of software that makes me the village doc, the village doctor. This piece of software that I buy is basically mm-hmm. an expert system. You come to me, you're not feeling it with stomach ache. And with an 80% reliability, I can tell whether it's you ate something bad or you've got appendicitis. Right now in, in villages in the developing world that don't have medics, you know, they typically diagnose and with a study done un- less than 30% of the time it's correct. So with this device, I pay, a it comes to me not feeling well, they pay me a rupee, and I can give them a pretty good diagnosis of what it is. Or I can, down- I can buy another piece of software and I can find the person who teaches English or tells people who caught fish where the marketplace is that's paying the most for it that day. And so everybody can get a job if they have a cell phone that is adding value to the community. So you're raising standards of living. So that's an idea, uh, so we have an XPRIZE we're developing uh, around the idea of a software competition for which, for software that generates the most revenue in, in villages in the developing world. So that's just a, a concept we're looking at, which is addressing poverty.
1: Um, include the slums, that's where more poor people are now. Sure. And I would say. Um, yes. So we're coming up on the other number two, which is uh, number ten. Uh, cancer, be able to detect any cancer at the 100-cell stage and zap it. Say a little more about that. You you mentioned a bit that there's a lot of different cancers.
2: So uh, we have a partnership with the Lance Armstrong Foundation right now that we're developing or looking Mm -hmm. at cancer X-Prizes, and we've had some great summits thinking about this. And the notion is that cancer is a disease of of, uh, multiple origins. And in curing a cancer, I mean, prostate cancer, for example, is hundreds of different variant diseases. And the reason is that you know a lot of cancers come to you late in life, mm-hmm. and therefore it isn't genetically or isn't evolutionarily weeded against, and so you it can it can evolve in many different directions. So the idea of curing cancer, I mean, eventually with nanobots probably, but it's the same sort of thing. The question is, can you image it when it gets when it's still small and it hasn't spread, and be able to then in a in a some type of fashion eradicated. so you basically are able to defang cancer rather than cure it.
1: Well, this will I think blend with your doubling the human lifespan because basically as you're pointing out, cancer is uh, an illness of aging, and mm-hmm. to cure cancer you sort of cure you have to cure aging and yep. to do that and then oh by the way you've cured aging that was interesting so those will blend. Okay, we're down to number one which uh, surprises me. It is number thirty one: eradicate hunger or greater than 90 percent of the human population. Wow. It's got 33 votes out of. You know, that's a fair fraction of who's that's,
2: here. Uh, that uh, that surprises me, well, but obviously well worth.
1: And yeah, what are your thoughts? Well, on I that? was supposed to. <laughs> 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 number one is. Oh, sorry, I you got You're number hungry. one is. Well, I, I, you know, it happens it's to not be, a funny one. It is happens it? to be 8:30, and
2: everyone's really hungry. So, which is why well, we're
1: getting there. <laughs> that could
2: well be. But but say more about hunger. hunger. What have you got on that? Oh, wow. So, the question is, I mean, what is food? Food is the assembly of uh, molecules in a certain way, uh-huh. right? That we can digest and extract energy from. And there's molecules everywhere, or atoms everywhere. So, the, the question is really, how do you more efficiently arrange them in a fashion that can provide you with uh, sustenance?
1: Okay, that tastes
2: good. I'm sorry. And taste good.
1: (laughs) So, uh, the couple of high ones here are basically human condition, planetary condition ones, which then raises two questions in my mind. One is climate change. There's not much on that subject. And the other one is the singularity, whatever that may mean. There's not much on that subject. And... Those are both in in sort of this multi-decade time frame that we're talking about. And they're the, you know, what they used to call the world problematique situation, civilization, aggregate is facing. Climate is clearly a big one. The poverty and the hunger is there, but it's been there for a while. And we're sort of, you know, sifting our way in them. But these are, are basically new problems of a new scale. I wonder if they are outside the range that can actually be where prizes are going to help much?
2: Yeah. Or so, what? Yeah, I I'm, mean, I, I'm, I, when people come to me and say, I'd like to fund a prize to do the following, uh, you know, I'm first to say prizes are not a universal solver. I mean, they may be mm. something when people are desperate and don't know how to deal with something. Mm-hmm. I think that's a category where prizes could actually uh, be valuable when I don't know how to handle this. And I'm just looking for the global brain trust to bring solutions forward. It's a way to focus people's attention, but it's only as valuable as your ability to define the problem precisely. Um, I think that's an important attribute of prizes. And
1: for that reason, the one I like of the ones that was in your list, and I would have put it high on mine, is the carbon sequestration one. Presumably some kind of biotech, presumably in the oceans and maybe that thing that'll go to the bottom of the ocean, which we need badly because Alvin is getting old and leaky.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, Can you believe that, that the, that the technology that's able to go down to the ocean Everest, near the bottom of the ocean, is 40 years old? And small. I mean, 40 years old. I mean, that's uh, some of the lowest-hanging fruit, potentially, for future X prizes. It's the equivalent of the Unstarry. In fact... At the very beginning of the Ansari X-Prize, uh, a good friend, Sylvia Earle, was uh, on, my, on my board and we came very close to making the original X-Prize $10 million to the first person either to take three people up to 100 kilometers or take three people down to the Marianas Trench. And that's an interesting attribute of uh, variant of prizes we may do if you use the same money to drive two different directions or potentially three. Sounds good. Thank you. This was fabulous. My pleasure. Thank you You all.
1: This seminar about long-term thinking was brought to you by the Long Now Foundation. Thanks to Fora TV, you can see high-quality videos of the talks online by joining Long Now as a member at longnow.org. Thank you for listening. I'm Stuart Brand.